0: This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast Show 192.
1: <laughs> Ow! <laughs> he totally just sneezed so hard he hit his face <laughs> into the microphone. <laughs> you're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from biggerpockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. What's
0: going on, everybody? This is Josh Dorkin, host of the Bigger Pockets Podcast, here with my co host, Mr. Brandon Turner. What's <laughs> up, man?
1: You know, I'm doing fine, but the real question is how's your face doing? Oh yeah, I,
0: I just I just sneezed and like totally whacked my face into my mic. Yeah, microphone.
1: and the best part is I had started recording. Did you get video? I got video and audio of you oh, sneezing God. and then smashing your face into your microphone. <laughs> That will go at the end of the show in the outtakes. And, if you're
0: uh, if you're not watching this on YouTube, uh, you, yeah, you know can you watch should go over to our channel, BiggerPockets uh, YouTube dot com slash BiggerPockets and yeah. watch the show, or go well, to our videos page, BiggerPockets.com slash videos yeah. and check it out. Because yeah, I I'm sure
1: it was funny <laughs> for everybody but me. <laughs> yeah, it was good. It was good. No, it's uh it's uh besides that, it's good to be back. I was in Boston for my brother's wedding. I, I didn't even ask. I know. I'm I'm telling you, it was the I, I heard. I I heard the most there was amazing. a story. There was this a lot is- of stories. This was the most – I'm not going to tell the whole story because it's really long. But let's just say the bride and groom left and then at the end of the wedding had to come – reception had to come back because they did, had their stuff. Left again, got in a car accident. It was like everything that could go wrong went wrong while they tried to leave this wedding. It was like they could not get out. And then uh, – yeah. But, but, but we did
0: hear that being married is the greatest thing yeah, ever. Yeah, I did get a text
1: saying being married is the greatest thing ever. So Good. happily ever Good. after. All right. So it worked out perfect. (laughs) Perfect. Cool, man.
0: Well, welcome back. Welcome back. Yeah, we we you know interesting show today. You know some good knowledge as always. Uh, Good guy.
1: Yeah, he's investing in a market that's a little different than what I do, and very different from like you know the low income stuff. He's doing a little bit higher end stuff, a little more expensive. Doesn't have as quite as much cash flow as I might want per unit. But it's a different strategy, and I think you guys will like it, especially if you're in a market that's a little bit higher priced than what you hear me talking about or whatever. So,
0: you mean everybody except those yeah, people everybody, everybody except, Yeah,
1: except for Detroit. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. not It's been a while. Well, yeah, you know, I you, You've not ripped on D-town D-town in a while. Yeah, you know, you it's know. part of part of my shtick. It's part of your shtick. shtick.
0: Yes, yes. All right. Speaking of shtick, we've got today's quick,
1: quick shtick. shtick. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, guys. Today's quick tip: We've been growing our publishing business. We've been growing our publishing department. Kim, our head of publishing, is rocking and rolling, and we've got a uh, you know a bunch of really cool books in the lineup to come. But we're always looking for new ideas, always looking for new authors. So if you are an author, or you want and, to be an author, or want to be and an you're author, an amazing and writer, and are an amazing writer, and an amazing, amazing investor, like,
1: are are you going to do this, or am I? <laughs> I'm cutting you off. Come on. We are we we're, we are we're looking, looking for. For (laughs) For, uh, new, no, take
0: it. Right, we're looking for new authors. So, if you're interested, go to biggerpockets.com/author. That's biggerpockets.com slash author. And there's a form there. Just fill it out. Honestly, I don't even know what questions we're asking currently but on that form. But just go in there, fill it out. And Kim, if there's any interest, we'll be in touch and uh, can help you out and to see if this makes sense for us to uh, publish your book. There so biggerpockets.com slash author.
1: And you know, for those people who don't know that we publish books, you can go to biggerpockets.com slash store and check out all the books we book have for sale there. Slash bookstore. Slash bookstore. Store will get you there too, but bookstore is prettier, I think. I don't know. Oh, we had a new graphic designer, though, officially coming on. So we're going to make everything look prettier. That's pretty fun. Yes. Yeah, pretty
0: yes. Yeah. Lots of, lots of, lots of changes happening here at BP. It's yeah. exciting. We're growing. It's fun.
2: You might think you want real estate, but that's not true. What you really want is passive income. With new investors struggling to find deals or get enough money to buy them and veteran landlords tired of the constant tenant phone calls, is there a better alternative? Actually, there is. Fund your digital wallet with at least $500. Select from 6, 12, and 24-month short notes with annualized return rates up to 9%. Then sit back and let your monthly returns roll in. Join today by visiting connectinvest.com/vp. connectinvest.com/vp. If you're in the landlord game, then you know the importance of solid tenant screening. That's where RentReady steps in. Now, ready has got an important new feature, proof of income verification. And get this, with Plaid-certified reports, you'll see everything from income summaries to total earnings by month. Say goodbye to those gut-check moments and hello to confidence in renting with RentReady. RentReady is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. If you're not a pro, they're offering a six-month plan for $1. You can't beat that. I actually... Don't even know how they make money doing that, but it's above my pay grade, pal. Visit rentready.com. That's R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I dot com and use the code BPINVESTOR. That's BP, like bigger pockets, investor, like me, to get six months of Rent Ready for $1, which is crazy. What's better than low money down? No money down. Now through Rent to Retirement, you can buy a brand new construction, turnkey rental property for no money down. Wait, hold on. This can't be right. I need to double check with Zach, rental retirement CEO. Oh, hey, Rob. Zach, how the heck are you selling turnkey rental properties for $0 down?
1: (laughs) It's not that complicated, Rob. REI to 33777 to learn more about how you can get started investing with no money down today.
2: Get your next new construction property at a steep discount or invest with no money down. Head to rentarretirement.com today.
0: Guys, this is show 192 of the Bigger Pockets podcast. You can check out the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash 192. And however you're listening to the show right now, we'd love for you to help us out you know if you're on YouTube give us give us a thumbs up you know if you're if you're listening on iTunes Stitcher SoundCloud you know, subscribe, leave us a rating review. Those things really help us climb the charts and, and do well. The more people, the more listeners. Actually, we have consistently been in the top 150 of every podcast on the planet. We, we've been averaging about 130, 140, which is And
1: top, is ten, cool. top 10 of business continually, which
2: is oh, yeah. awesome. Yeah, Man.
0: yeah, so it, it's, it's been great. Thank you to all of our listeners for your support. Yeah, you we guys really are, do you appreciate guys, it. You
1: guys rock. Thank you. You do, you do. All right, let's get this thing going. Hey, before we do, you have... Uh, I, you have a mark on your forehead where you hit that. I, it's like a red that's mark. That's funny. Yeah, you have a red yeah, mark. It's really that? funny. It's... Yeah, that's a pimple. <laughs> no, Thank no. That, Thank
0: you for making me feel self-conscious. I'm pretty I sure I can that. see
1: the microphone like in, embedded in your forehead. Right. Yeah. So this is amazing. you spent the last three minutes <laughs> staring, at thinking your, yeah. about
0: how you can say something <laughs> about this. Congratulations. Well done. You're
1: never living this down. This is I'm greatest. really proud of you, yeah, Brandon. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, you've made it.
0: <laughs> you've made it. All right, guys. T- today's show, today's guest is Russell Brazil. I like the name, Russell Brazil. That is a cool name. Russell's a moderator on Bigger Pockets. He's a real estate investor in the uh, D.C., Rockville, Maryland area, I believe and uh you know he's he's done buy and hold flips he's an agent and he's an agent so he he brings again a, another unique perspective that we wanted to share with you yeah. and he's got he's got a really cool point uh, later in the show we 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 talk about the difference between inexpensive properties and expensive properties and the ratio of repairs to those properties, we talk about toilets, but Russell makes a really interesting point about the cost of repairs on expensive versus less expensive properties, which is just you know something to ponder. So listen up for that. Yeah. Otherwise, let's get into this. What do you think?
1: Let's do it. Let's bring Russell in. What's going on, Russell? Welcome to the show, man. It's good to have you here. Hey, it's great to be here. Yeah, it should yeah. be fun. I, I, we we like talking to our moderators. Russell here is one of our moderators on the Pockets forum. So a lot of you guys who are listening to this probably recognize the name if you hang out in the forums. If you're not hanging out in the forums, Russell, tell people to hang out in the forums. Hang out in the forums.
3: <laughs> it's a great place to be. And if you're angry someone deleted your post, it
1: was – you Know probably
3: Brandon Armendi or, or
1: not, me. <laughs> not you, not you. No, you're nice. you know, you're never mean to people. No, yeah, no, you are uh one of our great moderators, so we do thank you for that. It's uh, you know, you're part of what makes the community over on the PP Forum so awesome. So thank you, Thanks. cool, appreciate it. Yeah, do you have all a right. question, Brandon? Is, I don't, is there I, just a wanted, question? I just wanted to say okay. thank hey, you, to you, guys. Our that was
0: today's show. <laughs> thank you so much for coming on now, Russell. No, no. All right, man, so. You're a moderator. That's amazing. But you are a moderator because you are an active real estate investor. Tell us about it. How did you get started? How did you decide to become a real
3: estate investor? So I started 2003. I got out of school. I became a licensed agent at the time, and I was just working part time in real estate, full time in healthcare. And you know, during 2003 through six. Anyone could make money being an agent like you're a complete idiot and you could make money, which was a bad thing because you'd never learned how to do things right, yeah, so at the time, you know I always knew that real estate was a great way to build wealth long term, but the problem I had was nothing could be rented for more than it cost to buy it at the time, you know, and I kept in the back of my mind I want to own my own home at some point, I'd like to own some rental properties, but the numbers just did not work. Fast forward to 2008, the market just starts collapsing. Everyone's scared. They think it's the end of the world. And somewhere around 2009, we started hitting an equilibrium where suddenly in my market, houses would at least break even. They could be rented for the cost of their mortgage. So I tried as hard as I could. And even being a part-time agent at the time, it was really hard to buy a property. And then as the crisis continued, prices continued to drop and suddenly things could be rented for more than the cost to mortgage them. And so it was 2010, we're not quite at the bottom of our market then. And I just started getting as aggressive as I could trying to buy. Um, everything you tried to buy at the time had 30 cash offers. It was just so hard to compete without you know, having cash. Sure. And then the government came out with that $8,000 refundable tax credit at the time. And I just thought, this is too good to be true. So me and my wife were not married at the time. So we were able to each buy a property, and we finally just bid as much as we could to acquire a property each with the goal of turning one into an investment at one point and living in the other you know, eventually. That's how I got started.
1: Nice. Oh, so where are you actually uh, from, Russell? Where is the, all this taking place at? I
3: live in Rockville, Maryland uh, currently, which is a suburb of DC, Okay. at the time uh, when I was jumping in i was then actually living in the district
1: okay nice so that is i mean i'm not real familiar with i don't i'm on the west coast like the opposite that the, would be where the, the, the president, left president coast. Lives, okay yeah i know that i'm <laughs> what's the market Congress, like there i mean like uh, what are price Washington ranges monuments yeah 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 thanks josh i've, I've heard of those you know That's, oh okay uh, just yeah just that, make it you know you white know. house Capitol building <laughs> yeah whatever those yeah. things whatever so what are Besides the White House and the Capitol, what are prices for properties going forward? Like, what typically are we looking at? So
3: currently, our median price point, depending what source you check is either 450000 or 500000 Okay. Okay. Um, so we're one of the top five, six, seven most expensive markets in the country.
1: Okay. So yeah, well you're not in like, you know, you're not buying houses for $12,000 here. I mean, this is a, what do you want to call it? High end maybe, or just like high value area? Expensive. Oh, definitely Expensive. Yeah, definitely
3: high value area. However, you know, one of the things that always drives me nuts is when people say it's too expensive to invest here. Sure. Because there's plenty of low cost properties as well, as I think there are in any market.
0: Yeah. And, and well, I, I want to talk about that. Yeah,
3: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you look at San Francisco, people think that's too expensive, but it's close to Sacramento and Stockton, California, which are, you know, reasonably priced markets. D.C., the further you move away from the city's core, prices, you know, get much more reasonable. And conceivably, if you live in a high cost area, you should be making more money as well. You know, a mechanic in D.C. makes more than a mechanic in Edmond, Oklahoma. Sure. Yeah, at least hopefully you do.
1: At least hopefully. Yeah. And and for the most part, I think that generally yeah, a lot of people just use the I live in an expensive location as an easy out to not put in the work needed or to not feel bad about not investing. Right. So, oh, yeah, I, I haven't invested for the last 10 years because I live in L.A. or I live in San Francisco. Well,
0: I think the difference is also that, you know, it does. If you're going to be putting money down and you're not getting a partner or, or anything like that, I mean, it, it will typically require you to uh, get more cash. Right. Sure. So. You know, I mean, to buy a house where you are, Brandon, I need a dollar and I've got 20% down. (laughs) A dollar Uh, and a
1: pack of smokes and that'll get you it. Yeah. The problem (laughs) is people don't want to save. Brandon
3: just had an article about this. You know, Americans, it's hard for Americans to save for whatever reason. But I don't know why we think if we can't master our own personal finances, why we think we're going to be good investing the little money that we have. That's good. Well, that's
0: yeah. It's awesome, and I think that's one of the big tenets that we we try to share through BP is like you know you do need to be financially, fiscally responsible before you start doing this. Like you know, hey, I want to get rich, but my my house is not in order. All right, well, get your house in order. Like you got to figure this out. You got to learn how to budget. You got to learn how to save. You got to learn to be financially responsible. Once you've done that. Now you're in a position where you can start to make moves. So like really quickly, I, you know, I don't want to go too beginner, but like for those people who fall into that bucket, you know, what, what advice would you give them Russell?
3: I mean, I think if you just try to cut out all the extras out of your life that cost money that you don't need, I haven't had cable in 10 years. I'm certainly someone that can afford it, but I just think that dollar can be put to better use. You know, don't go out to eat all the time. You know, for a long time after I got out of college, I was living in a $400 a month studio apartment so I could pay off my college loans, pay off my credit card debt, start saving. You know, if you want it bad enough, you'll figure out how to save money. Yeah.
1: I love it. Yeah, and I think no, that's a that's huge awesome. part of it is do you want it bad enough? Because it's going to take sacrifice if you want anything great. You know, it's going to take something. So, I mean, is it the pleasure right now of having that new car, or that, you know, eating a $80 dinner 20, 30 nights a month? I mean, people do that and they'll drop... Thousands of dollars and stuff where they could potentially save it. Now, if that's more important to them than working you know, for the next 40 years of their life, then fine. Go ahead and do that. But Yeah, if that's
3: you know. what someone wants to do, there's nothing wrong with that. But to say I don't have any money to invest, if you are you know, spending all your money, well, then your you priorities are not in order.
0: Yeah. I will tell you like of the people that I know and have known the place that I actually see people spend the most money where they can cut it out the easiest. They may not want to, but it's drinking. It's liquor. Yeah. It's yeah. booze. Absolutely. It's you go out to a restaurant like, you know, you go out to a restaurant, you know, 40 50 bucks with your spouse, you add in alcohol, now it's 100. Yep. You know. So like you cut the booze out and all of a sudden, you know, you're in a position where you've got a whole lot more money in your pocket. I mean, there's so many different ways to do it. Awesome. All right. So you and your wife went and, you know, it's 2010. You said, "Hey, we're we're going to go put mon- both put money down and pick up a property." How did how did that go for you? Did you guys actually end up buying investment properties? Each of you, or, or-
3: yeah, so we each bought one property. I okay. got the at the time the eight thousand dollars refundable tax credit from the government. So when our tax returns came around, we both got something like fifteen thousand dollars tax returns because of that extra. Money the government was giving out. So then we took that and we bought our next property. That became the down payment for the next one. At the time, Fannie Mae had a program where you could put 10% down on an investment property, which no longer exists, unfortunately. We saw that opportunity. We knew that we just had to take advantage of that opportunity while it exists. And we did. Nice. And then, you know, suddenly we had eventually moved into one property, turned the other one we had into an investment. So we got two properties of cash flowing. So we're smart enough not to spend our cash flow and let that build up along with our normal savings. And suddenly when you have income producing assets that are producing that cash flow, if you're not spending it, you can save quicker and quicker and it just begins to snowball. Yeah. So then we took that and started bought the next one, then the next one, then the next one.
1: Well, so and, real, real quick, I want to jump in there because you said something. You said you're smart enough to know not to spend your cash flow. Now, that is something that I was not smart enough to know when I got started. Well, I, I and like, some
0: people can't necessarily do it either. I and mean, maybe right? they can't, yeah. And there's a lot yeah, of yeah.
1: – but I, I think you bring up a very valuable point there in that like when you're spending your cash flow, you can't save it for the future, right? So my goal was I wanted 3000 a month, and I'm quitting my job. I got 3000 a month in cash flow. I quit my job, and I'm like, all right, I'm done. Four-hour work week. Here I come. And, all of a sudden, I was and like, then you a hit second. a wall. Yeah, yeah and I'm and like, I can't. A- Exactly. I can't buy. I can't save. I can't do anything. I'm just in this position where I'm quote unquote retired, but I can't progress very much faster than this. And you know, I think that's a good point. Is if you can continue working, continue making money, not living on the cash flow, not spending all your cash flow, it does snowball, like you said. That's cool. I like it. So let's talk yeah. about these properties. What are the pro- yeah? I want to have-
0: hear the numbers on the, yeah, on, on the, the first, first couple of
1: properties. So the first property we bought,
3: it was. I think it was listed at 260 and we had to bid two ninety to get it. And then our primary residence was pretty similar numbers. And I was able to rent that for two thousand at the time. I think our payment was like fifteen fifty. So we're making like four hundred dollars a month before capex and repairs. Sure. And for our market at a higher price point, you know, this made sense. You get a lower price rent ratio in some of these higher income areas, but you gotta take what the market gives you. Um And I think that's something, you know, a lot of us ignore. We continue to look for the perfect investment and never buy. Well, you know, when I was growing up, my mother invested in real estate, too. And she always told me, you know, this is growing up in Boston, that you should buy something that breaks even and over time, your rents will grow. And though I was getting a little bit of cash flow here, you know, after owning it for six years now, my rents have grown $400 on that and. After refinance, my payments gone down. So now I'm cash flowing $900 a month on that property before accounting for repairs and CapEx.
1: And what is repairs? Mean? Well, first of all, what does CapEx mean when you say that? For those people who don't have never heard that term before, what does that mean? And what so
3: CapEx, that like? is sh- CapEx is sh- short for capital expenditures. What that means is something that's more than, you know, your little fixture toilet leaking. It's a major repair. It's replacing the roof, replacing the HVAC, replacing the water heater. And actually those three things are, if you own a property long enough of three things you're probably going to have to replace at some point yeah
0: nice well what, what and beyond that you know especially for for the new folks like there are other expenses too right i mean you have you have property management, you have vacancy i mean you know a, a lot of newbies will buy a property let's let's say you had the you're collecting two thousand bucks a month, you know if their mortgage insurance and taxes were Right about 2k, they're like, yeah, I got a you know a break even property. That is not true. That is not correct because you will have vacancies, you will have capex, absolutely, you will, um, you will have management. Even if you're managing it yourself, maybe at some point somebody else will have to come in and manage it. You're going to have to account for that, right? So what?
3: Absolutely. What else? And I, I self manage, so I do get you know juice my returns a little bit through that. You know, every property is going to have some amount of repairs or capex, but one problem I often see with new investors is they analyze this so much in their accounts. So they put so much of this rent towards a theoretical repair and suddenly nothing makes sense as as an investment in a spreadsheet when in reality these things do. And I always try to tell people trying to predict the repair percentages for a particular property is a fool's errand. As any of us know, that owns multiple properties. We have properties that have almost no repairs, and we have some properties that have a huge amount of repairs. And trying to apply a general rule to one individual property, it's just impossible. We can apply these rules to a portfolio of properties, but, you know, I try to tell people not to get stuck too much. Get as much cash flow as you can and understand that some of that or even all of it could, you know, disappear with your repair budget.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that it is tough, right? Because some properties, I mean, like I have a property we built in like 1902, it's a five unit property. And I've had I think one repair expense in four years, I mean, this property just does not have problems ever, yeah. but I have other properties that were built in the late seventies or 80s that are newer properties that I have two three hundred dollars a month, I feel like continually in capex and repairs so like yeah and if,
3: and if you were trying to guess which one of those would be it'd probably be the older property you would have thought would have sure. had more repairs so there's just really no telling which property is going to be that awful one that just kills your portfolio.
1: Sure. But okay. I think there, there still is obviously, I mean, you need to account, you, like you said, you have to know that you are going to have repairs. You could wipe that completely right. out. I mean, personally, I generally figure, I don't know, a f- maybe 5% on a, on a property. I'll kind of set aside something like that. Knowing that, yeah, yeah. On, that's more portfolio-wise. So I'm still going to use the number in my in my calculations, but- like I know that this property might be ten percent, that might be zero, but on average, I probably average around five percent for repairs and probably another five percent for capex in, in general. Uh, at least that, and that's my story. And then you know another
3: thing is investing in a high income area like DC or Boston yep. or San Francisco is that um, as you get these huge rents, my most expensive property rents for twenty eight hundred. So my repairs are not a large percentage of that. Yep. Because say if I need to replace a toilet, replacing a toilet in my $100,000 condo, it's gonna cost the same amount in my $400,000 property. It doesn't cost four times as much. Yep. That's a good point. As, as you move up in these price points, the percentages at least for repairs goes down significantly. That's a good point, um, yeah. Yeah,
1: and that, really that's why well, like well, yeah, when I say 5%, I'm, I'm I'm talking about my kind of properties and my price range in my area. So then people are like, "Oh, Brandon said 5%." So they start plugging in that number yeah. everywhere. It doesn't always work out that way. I mean, for capex I typically would do more of like, you know, maybe 100 bucks a month, 150 a month on a single family house. But again, it might be depends on the age of the house, depends on what condition yeah. it was in when I fixed it all those things. Well, yeah, did you fix
0: it? I mean, if you're yeah. buying a house that you didn't fix, you're buying a property that you haven't put any money into. You yeah. you may you better have a much bigger budget because the odds are probably pretty good unless you've bought a b- brand new property that something's going to have to be updated.
3: Yeah, and I try to personally buy rent-ready things. At least now, you know, in the early days I bought a bunch of dumps and it takes more capital up front, right? Because that's money you need right now to replace an HVAC or replace yeah. a roof. If you're buying something that's rent ready and good condition, you're financing the cost of those things over 30 years instead of needing that available capital right now.
2: Yeah. Sure.
0: So let's 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 talk about this snowballing, right? So 2010 you got these two properties. Then then you uh, took the cash flow, you put it up for another one. You know, it's been 6 years. How many rental properties do you have today?
3: So I'm actually down to 6. I was at a height of uh, 14 units uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, it was okay. 14 units over 11 properties because one of them was a multi. And what I started to recognize was there's certain properties that I didn't want to deal with. I had a couple low cost properties that had low income renters. On paper, the returns would be great, right? had one that was 77,000 rented for 1,300, almost a 2% roll, yeah. um, Which people say you can't achieve in an expensive metro area. <laughs> but what I found was after I accounted for the fact of you know, non-paying tenants, tenants trashing the property, um, go in the court, found that the return was imaginary. Those properties performed much worse than, you know, my $400,000 single family, um, which had nowhere near the sort of price rent ratio. Um, So I started getting rid of all the crap from my portfolio. And I trimmed down, I've been trying to raise capital because now my next goal is to scale up to you know small commercial small apartment buildings and i find that even though you know i've been trimming down you know i have less cash flow coming in because i went from 14 units down to six the amount of headaches i have has gone considerably down because now i'm only dealing with tenants that always pay their rent on time maybe take care of minor repairs themselves you know i get less phone calls less you know i'm almost you know i haven't been in housing court in like a year and a half now
0: Oh, that must be nice.
3: Yeah, it's fantastic.
0: <laughs> oh, it's such a, I mean, it's its a great point. I mean, I again, the, I, I've been there and, and it's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. And, you know, I listen, I think some people are built for it. I think some people love it, love it, love the challenge, don't mind the high turnover, don't mind, you know, the chaos, housing court, evictions. But they really do become part of the picture as you are in the lower income. I mean, as as good as you can screen, as well as you can do that, you know it's still almost inevitable, not guaranteed, but almost inevitable. So, yeah, I mean, so you're all right. So you're getting rid of your headaches, and now you're you're shifting, right? So your goal now, you're saying, is uh, to to think about uh, small commercial apartment buildings. Before we go there, you've got the six units. Are those houses or those condos? What are
3: those? So I've got two condos, three single families, and one townhouse. Okay, and my townhouse. You know, it doesn't perform great, but that's the one I bought with home, th- home Path Financing. So it's only 10% equity in it um, when I bought it. Um, so I'm just, even though it doesn't perform well, you know, I'm just into it for so little money. And it's in a generally higher income area that just makes sense to hold on to it, even though, you know, realistically, after I account for repairs, I'm really just breaking even on it.
0: Okay. So you are at least break even after everything yep. else. Okay, so you're break even. You're you've got this property. You're barely in it. Your reason for holding on to that is is what to to pay off the note and have the value of the asset. Are you accounting
3: yeah, for appreciation? Time, yeah, I'm definitely accounting for you know hoping for appreciation on it. I paid two thirty for it in 2011, worth about two ninety five today. So it's appreciated a good amount. And when you consider I was only into it for twenty three thousand plus closing costs, you know. I've like tripled my money on it. Yep. And while we won't get the same sort of appreciation levels we've had in the last 5 or 6 years bouncing off the bottom, it's probably in an area that should outpace the inflation rate in theory, you know, we'll see. Sure.
0: Yeah, nothing I, is guaranteed. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well and and so let's talk about that you know the appreciation you know a lot of times people have heard on the show here we've had guests who say you know never play appreciation and other guys you know they do play a little bit of appreciation so where do you fall on that line um what is appreciation like is it good is it bad is it uh, evil how do you feel So
3: I always say cash flow is how I pay my bills but appreciation is how I build wealth um, yep. we all went through this traumatic experience almost a decade ago of Prices dropping, you know, 50, 60, 70% in some areas. And, you know, a lot of areas have bounced back, not every area. But I don't think that we should ignore a century of sound real estate investing principles because of what happened 10 years ago. Now, people think when I say I invest for appreciation, they think that I'm $500 negative cash flow on some of these properties. Yeah, right, right. know, right. my worst property after accounting for repairs and that such breaks even you know, I've got properties that my three single families' cash flow before capex and repairs, the cash flow at nine hundred, nine hundred, and a thousand dollars a month. So it's not an insignificant amount of money, but I own them because I believe that they will go up in value over time. Gotcha. Um, okay, so you're—I mean,
0: you're playing on the—you know—and I don't want to misquote you, but the worst-case scenario on break-even after everything, best-case scenario. But you're not—you're not accounting for again. You're not accounting for management in there, correct?
3: Correct. I self manage, so I juice my own returns. Okay. Okay. Um, so,
0: you know, again, to, to somebody, a newbie, like that property that Russell's got that is break even, if he's got to pay for management, he's got to account for an extra 8%, 10 12% in cost, right? So,
3: right. But- so, where I'm getting something like 5 or 6% cash on cash, you know, realistically, after those things, if someone's had property management on there, that might shrink to. Till- 3 or 4% cash on cash return which when you compare that to the market right that cash flow is
1: what a safe paying dividend stock would be yeah, um, sure. but you get the yeah. other benefits of the loan getting paid down you get the tax benefits oh yeah yeah it's not stuff.
0: just one perk perk here yeah exactly yeah it makes exactly. sense
1: and really the the ability to lock in debt right
3: now at these low, low interest rates i think that's the that's the inefficiency in the market right now that we should all be you know trying to take advantage of what do you mean by we, that I mean to be able to borrow at four percent to buy an investment property, like that's insane. Yeah, um, the guys you know, in the think, early
0: '80s would would kill for for uh, what <laughs> we have
3: today. Yeah, I you know I think in five or ten years when we're back to a much normalized economic environment, I think everyone's going to be looking back and thinking, "Man, I should have borrowed one, two, three, four, five million dollars at four um, percent." You know. There's always opportunities in the market, and I think the opportunity right now is our insanely low interest rates. That doesn't mean just borrow for the sake of borrowing, you know, buy a property that's cash-flowing and, you know, have someone else pay down that debt for you. Because at the very worst, if they never go up in value, whatever debt you've accumulated, well, you know, owning two, three, four properties in a major metro area can turn you into a multimillionaire, even if they never go up in value, if you hold them to the end of that note.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, so I talk a lot about in the book on uh, rental property investing, I talk about there's like the four wealth generators, which are like, you know, there's cash flow, there's appreciation, there's the loan getting paid down and there's the tax benefits. And yeah. so like what, what's cool about rental properties in general is that you get all four of them. With flipping, you don't. With wholesaling, you don't. But with rental yeah. properties, you get all four. So like you said, imagine the property, you don't get appreciation at all, nothing. But You still get the cash, you know, potential cash. Okay, let's even get out that one, right? Let's say no cash flow breaks even every month over the next 30 years. And it, you know, doesn't go up in value at all. But you spend a million bucks on it. 30 years from now, it's now worth a million dollars because the loan pay down alone potentially would make you a millionaire. I mean, obviously, that's a simplified thing. But but if you you
0: put the 20% down, you know, in this hypothetical, right? So you put 200K down and it's worth a million. You've, You've not made a single dollar in profit. You've actually made an $800,000 gain, 400%.
3: Exactly. And um, if you can't borrow at 4%, you know, I'm, I'm estimating. I had someone just close a deal at four and a quarter. But if you can't cash flow at 4%, then you're just, you're looking in the wrong areas. Um, in fact, I don't know anywhere that wouldn't at least break even um, in my market at that, you know, at those rates. Yeah, yeah,
1: right on.
0: Cool. Um, I know we were going to talk about condos, right? You yeah, because me yeah,
1: you up, mentioned up you buy condos. Condos. Josh gives condos a hard time often. He yeah, some... Josh hates condos.
2: Yeah, Josh
0: so uh, I do not hate condos. Like Everybody <laughs> likes to put words in my mouth. Stop telling me what I like and don't like. I love condos. Condos are the best.
3: I'm sure They're the you best because
0: I like them. Yeah. No. Why? Yeah, so condos I, are fine. I, I what
3: do you like condos? I currently have two condos. I've owned three other ones that have sold off. Condos in my market provide good cash flow, much better percentage compared to the single families. Right? Condos in my market, not you know, obviously not all of them. But there's a number of them that meet the one percent rule, that are in you know low risk areas. So if you're hitting the one percent rule, you know you're going to cash flow a decent amount. I think my cash flow off of these, and again I self manage, but they're between fifteen and twenty percent cash on cash before accounting kind of for repairs and that stuff. And in my condos, I have almost no repairs. I think I spend roughly a hundred dollars a year on each condo in repairs, which is, you know, nothing. Yeah, that's. Yeah. Yeah, that's and you got to understand what are the risks that come with investing in condos. Am I going to get hit with a special assessment? Are they going to limit the percentage of renters in the unit? And you know, you just have to do your due diligence. You have to understand the risks that come with it, and. You know, market knowledge is the biggest way to mitigate risk. Yeah. So you learn what buildings work, uh, which buildings tend to have, you know, special assessments, which ones don't, which ones have huge reserve funds so that you're not not going to get hit with a special assessment. And, you know, single families have special assessments, too. It's called the, the roofs leaking. Both of them have huge unexpected costs that could come. Um, it's just you're a little bit more in control with, you yeah. know, a single family versus a condo. So
0: and and with yeah. the condo, I mean, I look, I, I I have no, I I think condos are great. I I think it's important for somebody who who doesn't know what they're doing to not have any false sense of hope on a condo, and I I think that's what you see the most often. Condos seem to be cheaper, seem to be easier to a lot of people, and they negate things like their HOA dues. You know, oh whoops they negate the special assessment. You know, they negate exactly what you said, the the possibility that, hey, percent, rental percentages are X and I just bought the the last condo, which, you know, oops, I can't rent it out now. I'm in trouble. I mean, there's there's a lot of things that you need to know and understand before you, you jump in and, and get that condo. But yeah, I mean, like at the end of the day, the HOA maintains everything outside those walls, the four walls, right? So, you know, if they're financially running their HOA appropriately and they have reserves, you know, in theory those special uh, assessments should be mitigated. So yeah, yeah, it's definitely something good to
3: look for. And definitely, you know, I find that the smaller condo buildings like, you know, 5, six, ten units, those are the ones that get in the financial hardship where you're probably going to get a special assessment. If you're buying into this condo project that has 400 units, yeah. well they've got they typically have millions of dollars in reserve funds to yeah. take care of these big things. So I don't buy in small units, Good small advice. complexes, you know, and I look for where that ratio is really going to work. I look for low condo fees, you know, obviously something that has seven, $800 condo fee. That's 150,000. That's not going to work. You know, so you got to keep the condo fee at a reasonable amount at a reasonable growth amount. And also you got to understand you're never going to get rich owning a bunch of condos um, unless you own hundreds of them. because while they do offer decent cash flow, they're really not going to go up in value the same way a single family will.
0: Unless and, you bought them in 08, 09 in Miami when they were selling for a hundred grand, <laughs> yeah. and today they're selling for seven.
1: Yeah, and nice. they're more uh, more sensitive to economic conditions. They're yes. easier to go down in value. Yep, because um, they were selling at seven hundred back in oh yeah. seven, <laughs> dropped down to a hundred, yeah. and now they're back yeah. up. Yeah, so Did get, get know?
0: you know, get out, get out while you're ahead of yourself. I guess. <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah, condos. Yeah, awesome. like, that's how I kind of see a lot of condos. They seem to swing, at least in my limited experience working, like you know, seeing them. They seem to swing a bit more than single families. I feel like they're they're the first to drop them in value. They're also the first to maybe start going up. Have you found that true uh, in your Yeah, area? I think
3: that's a great rule of thumb. Yeah, they they definitely they go up faster and they go down faster than other asset types. You know the other thing is on my condos, I have a lot less vacancy, and that's because someone a tenant will move into a condo any day of the month because to them it's just another apartment. When you're trying to fill a single family, people only want to move in on the first. But I can fill a condo in the third, the tenth, the fifteenth, twenty first, whatever. So even though I have higher turnover rates, I have lower vacancy rates in my condos.
0: Well, there's also more responsibility that comes with renting a house than renting a condo, right? The condo, you just live in the walls, right? The house, yep. you kind of got to take care of, you know, probably got to take care of the lawn or, or whatever else, you know, th- that there is. So, you know, it's just a little little bit more work. So people are, you know, th- think about it a little more before they do it. Yep. Yeah, Yeah. Cool. All right. So, so we got these condos, we got this uh, the uh, single families, you got this townhouse, which you know for all intents and purposes is, is is a condo as well, right? What else is going on? I mean, you're looking to shift into commercial and bigger apartment buildings. Why the shift? What's your goal? What's the plan?
3: So my goal is to lock in a large amount of debt and to scale up, and you know commercial buildings really allow that. And when I say commercial, I mean residential because I don't want to don't want to own office space. You know, I understand. I understand the residential side of things, um, which is completely different. So when I say commercial, I mean a residential apartment building. I want to scale up to something, you know, maybe like what Brandon has,
1: you know, 20, 30, 40 units. Although, Oh. <laughs> I, have, or I, have that nice, one. I have nice properties. Come on. Come on. You know, but the problem <laughs> I'm having
3: is I think the same problem a lot of uh, first-time, you know, commercial apartment building investors are finding is that, you know, the prices have been bid up so much on them. The cap rates are so low. Locating one that makes sense or locating one that, you know, is in bad enough condition that you can turn around is, you know, it's more challenging than just picking a simple single family to buy. Sure. So, you know, I'm expanding outside of my own market for that search, but I'd like to be within, you know, quote unquote, dr- driving distance. And what I mean by driving distance is someplace I can drive in 10 or 12 hours, which, you know, gives me a large area because. am like
0: not, a third of the country.
3: Yeah. Well, you know, I'm pretty much looking from like South Carolina up to New Hampshire. So most of the eastern seaboard, because I'm not someone who I want to see my property. I want to be able to go to it and touch it. You know, I don't want it to just be something that exists in, you know, an account online buying some turnkey property. I'm never going to see um, I'm, I'm hands on. So I want to be able to drive to it and see it. And the other thing is, since the prices on them have been bit up so much and we're sort of, you know, are we near a you know, top of the market, you know, it's important impossible to say, but commercial assets are more susceptible to economic downturns. So we'll see if it's something I can acquire. I'll set a time limit. If I can do it, great. If not, then I'll just go back to my strategy of acquiring, you know, single family homes in, in my area.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So and and it's something we've heard a lot. I, I think you're not alone in saying that, you know, it's it's been really hard to find decent commercial deals, decent apartment complexes. I know, Brandon, you've been shopping. I know a bunch of other folks that we know have been shopping. And they're definitely few and far between and a lot more difficult to come by these days, I think, for all the reasons that you said. So obviously, lots of luck on that. And that's great. So you beyond buy and hold, you're also a flipper, I understand. Yeah, Are you house flipping as well?
3: Yeah, I mean, I do the occasional flip. Probably been about a year and a half since I did my last one, but I was doing one to two a year before that. Early ones were, you know, very poor. <laughs> yeah, I think I lost money on my first one, broke even on my second one, and you why
1: know. did why did you what like, what was the mistakes or the problems in the beginning that made you not do it so well? And what how'd you improve that?
3: My largest mistake, and it's one I continue to make, and it's one of the reasons I'm trying to shy away from flipping. Is I'll look at something in a flip and think. I'm not going to pay a contractor a thousand dollars to do that job. I'll just do it myself. Yep. And then three months later, I get to it. So the last flip I did, I think I held the property for nine months. I had self-financed it, so you know I don't have to worry about that hard money costs. And this is why I don't bar- borrow hard money is because I'm slow when I do flips. Yep. And you know, I mean, that's definitely a tip to people is don't do the work yourself. Just pay someone to do it. They're going to do it better. They're going to get it done quick. But it's one of the reasons I'm a bad flipper you know i i work with you know i have clients as an agent who are flippers and i try to shift over to that because i can make half as much as they make flipping a property being the agent on it yep um,
1: <laughs> with a whole lot less so risk I and a whole that. lot oh yeah a whole yeah. lot less time yeah with no risk yeah, me and Ben Leibovich were just talking about this yesterday, my buddy Ben, about this idea of he's like, well, I could go back and flipping houses. He just moved to Phoenix, and he's like, I could go, flip, you know, flip houses, but man, I could just, you know, the average cost of a house here is three hundred fifty thousand dollars. I can just go and sell somebody a house and make the same as I'm going to make on a flip, and I'm like. That's very true. Like,
3: yeah, exactly. A typical flip in my area is something that we're buying for four fifty and we're selling for seven hundred. We're putting one hundred and twenty-five into it. So as an agent, I can make ten thousand on the buy side and fifteen thousand on the sell side. Make twenty-five grand. I make half as much as the flipper without putting it in my capital at risk. So now, when I come across the flipping opportunities, I just call up one of my few friends that flips and say, you know, here's one. Do You want to buy it or not? Does yep. They say yes or no. They say no. Move on to the next person on my list.
1: Yep. That's cool. That's cool. So maybe we can wrap up before we get to the fire round. I want to talk real quickly about the fact that you are and, and that you work with investors. So maybe we can talk about people who are listening to this show right now. Some of them don't have an agent. So my first question is, how do you find an agent like you who works with investors, who understands this game?
3: Go out to your local RIAs and your local real estate meetups and we're there. You, know, you definitely want to focus on someone that's investing themselves, that understands what you're looking for. And the other thing is, yeah, I mean, we're out there. We just come find us. We're not that hard to find. Um, hey, Russell, get, re- get referrals to yeah. to them from other investors.
0: But you're investing yourself. I mean, aren't you going to take all the good deals? Why would I want to work
3: with you? <laughs> it's funny because I, I hear that all the time, right? Yes. Um, but I, how? If I was buying all the deals, like, how can I possibly buy the hundreds of things that are on the market at once? Like, there's no way I would be able to keep them all for myself. I can't even keep one or two for myself at a time. <laughs> you know, I buy. Try to buy one to two properties a year, you know. And the same thing, like, oh well, he works with investors. How do I know I'm going to get the deal and someone else isn't? What are the chances that I have four, four, five, six people at once that are all looking for the same type of investment? The chances of that happening are so small. You know, I got one person that wants to buy all cash single families. I got another person wants to buy you know, flips. Another person that only wants to buy low cost rentals. None of my clients want the same things at the very same moment. Cause you know, I ran across this property this week. It'd be great to flip. I called the three regular flippers I work with, but they're all tied up in other projects. No one can even get to it. Yeah. Well, that's so a good there's question so many to deals ask. that slip through. Yeah. I
0: mean like a- asking that potential agent, like, Hey, you know, what type of properties do you invest in? You know, what's your goal? And like of your client's, what are they you know what what's their focus you know how how would i fit in with your bag of clients you know do you have anyone else who's doing exactly what i'm doing who's targeting you know colonials from 19 the 1920s 1930s i mean if you know specifically what it is that you you want to do the the types of properties and your goals i mean you can you can mitigate things like that
3: yeah absolutely and you know most beginning investors don't know what they want um, correct yeah and they almost need, you know, an agent who invests to sort of point out to them the different methods and styles and, you know, find out what your goals are and point them in the right direction of what in our market is going to fit their goals. Because everyone has different goals. Do you want income replacement? Do you want to build wealth? You know, everyone wants something different. And beginning investors often don't know what they want. They just know, I want to buy real estate. Yeah, um, And they need someone to sort of point them in the right direction on well, or
1: Do you have any advice then for, I mean, you brought, brought up a good point. New investors don't know what they want. So if I'm a new investor right now, listen to the show, listen to you talk. What advice can you give me if I'm in that exact position? I have no idea what I want.
3: I think the best way to start is to start buying cash flow properties, buy a few of those, build up enough so that um, you can replace your income if you want to. Don't quit your job because um, having a job Allows you to continue to borrow, yeah. and after you build up that base of cash flow properties, then maybe you can move on to, you know, a higher risk investment like an appreciation play. But it's hard to go wrong with a cash flow property. Yeah. Um, I like that.
0: Nice. Like that. Hey, where where are, you, where are you going from here? What's the plan for the next one, two, three,
3: five years? Oh, I thought you meant today. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to work on one of my rental properties today. Uh, the next one, three, five years, you know, I want to scale up, buy an apartment building if I can. If I can't, then you know I'm going to continue to add single families. I have a goal of adding two million dollars in debt over the next two years. So we'll see if I can accomplish that. Yeah. Why would you pick that Everyone. as your
0: goal? The the two million in debt. I mean that that's it's an interesting goal. I, I don't think I've heard anyone phrase it My like goal that. is so. getting the debt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean that's, that's an interesting phraseology. So what? Why do you say it
3: that way? You know, I just think the market inefficiency right now is low interest rates, and I want to take advantage of them while they're here. If I can acquire $2 million more in debt, you know, I have about a million and a half in debt right now. So that would mean if I just hold these properties until they're paid off and they never go up in value, that's at least $3.5 million that's other people have paid me. Yeah, And I just think it's hard to go wrong doing that. As long, you know, and that doesn't mean I'm going to buy negative cash flow things. Sure. They have to cash flow and. You know, give me a little bit of income also to, because that snowball effect, like we talked about earlier. As long as you you know, have that extra cash flow coming in, that allows me to buy quicker than you know previously in the past. There you go, nice. So
0: cool. debt is Head good. On. I cool. love debt.
3: There you, there you
0: go. go. You and you and Dave. Uh, what's his name? <laughs> Dave
1: Ramsey. Dave Ramsey can have a <laughs> debt off battle. Yeah. Yeah, you might need to do that, which we still need to get Dave Ramsey on the show. So everybody knows Dave Ramsey, hook him up with us. I want him on the show. I want that debate here live on the Bigger Pockets podcast.
0: Oh, man, that'd be fun. That'd, that'd be, be fun. fun.
1: All right. So let's shift gears a little bit and head over to the world-famous Fire Round. It's
2: time for the Fire Round. We're always looking for ways to improve, searching for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for better is by matching with quality candidates. Just go to Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Listeners, I'm telling you right now, it's not every day you find a game changer like Rent Ready. They're not stopping with just tenant screening. They've rolled out proof of income verification. Let RentReady handle the heavy lifting with automatic checks on financial stability and earnings. Plus, with Plaid certified reports, you'll have all the info you need right at your fingertips. Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. And if you're not a pro, they're offering the six month plan for just $1. How great of a deal is that? That's one eighth of a Chipotle. That's pretty good. Visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I dot com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP,
4: like Bigger Pockets, Investor, to get six months of Rent Ready for $1. Keep your money in your pocket and propel your portfolio further at firstexchange.com. First American Exchange Company does not provide tax or legal advice. Consult your financial, real estate, tax, or legal advisor about your circumstances. First American Exchange Company. Safe, smart, secure. Want to dive
2: deep into commercial real estate, entrepreneurship, leadership, and the economy? Tune into the Walker webcast hosted by the CEO of Walker & Dunlop
1: All right, these fire round questions come direct out of the Bigger Pockets forums and we're going to fire them at you. Russell, you ready for this? I'm ready. Let's uh, do it. All right. Number one, Russell, I've got $60,000 to invest. Uh, now what do I do? By $60,000, I would try to
3: buy probably three $100,000 properties of cash flow to, at roughly the 1% rule. Let them sit there, build up you know, your cash reserves again, and then continue to buy after that. All
0: right. Okay. okay start with the, the cheaper properties and, and work your way up.
3: Absolutely. Cool. I mean, cheaper is usually indicative of less risk because if someone's not paying, you know, if it's cheap and your tenant leaves, can I pay it with my own salary? If you can, that's an incredibly low risk. Yeah. It's when you can't pay those vacancies that, you know, that introduces a higher amount of risk.
0: Well, you got to make sure that you have money. I mean, I, I, I think that's like a, a real basic that a lot of people – I don't. I, I would say the average Bigger Pockets listener knows, but the average non-BP listener may may not know. Right? You know, uh, you need reserves. You need cash. You can't like you know you don't just go month to month on on your money. I mean, you need to have some money in the bank when you buy a rental property, regardless of of how expensive or inexpensive it is. Not having that is a very very fast way of finding yourself in a lot of trouble. But uh, all right, cool. Next question: uh, What is the best strategy? for the coming recession, but we're prognosticating here, you know, so our, our poster here believes that there's a recession coming at some point in the next X period. What would you do if you thought you thought it was coming? How would you prepare?
3: So I think the best strategy is to buy before the recession buy during the recession and buy after the recession. Bye, bye, bye. Bye, bye, bye. Isn't
0: that like a, you know, unless you're (laughs) you're
3: getting close to retirement and you need to pare down your portfolio, you should always you know, when prices go down, when we're hitting bad economic environments, that just that creates opportunity. Just buy more during the
1: recession. There you go. There okay. you go. By the way, I want to thank Josh and for putting the NSYNC song in my head for the rest of the day. It was
0: NSYNC. It wasn't back. It was NSYNC, And NSYNC, don't
1: try NSYNC. to predict a recession. <laughs> you know, if people
3: thought the market was bubbly in 2003 and decided not to buy, well, it it went for another, you know, five years after that. Um, Trust me. Yeah. Did you get out in 2003, Josh, of that? No, but I just stopped. really didn't buy a lot (laughs) for a
0: while
1: there. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Next, next question. All right. Number three. I like this question. So my tenant was supposed to move out on a Friday. So I lined up another tenant to move in the following week, but on Thursday they called and said, "Never mind, we're not leaving anymore. Now what do I do? I've got two tenants Uh for the same property.
3: That's a tough one. I would get a moving truck out there. You know, it's got to come out of your pocket. You pay for the moving truck, you pay for the movers, you get that old tenant out. Because you, you can't screw over that new tenant. You know, they're your, they're your customer. you got to provide great service to them. So you got to do whatever you have to do to get that old tenant out, even, a, even if it costs you money. Put them up in a, you know, tell them I'll put you in a hotel for a week. Pay for their moving expenses. You just, you just got to eat it and get it done.
0: He's yeah. talking about anything legal. He's not saying <laughs> get the moving truck, move all their crap out and say lock the change of locks. You, you, you don't do that.
1: Yeah, probably not. By the way, I I, I have a confession to make. That was actually my question. So that happened to me last week, and I had not actually run into that before. And I was like, what should I do? I was like, I'm going to ask it in the Bigger Pockets forums. But instead of that, I was like, I'm going to ask the next podcast guest. What did you do, Brandon? So here's what I did. So I said, okay, tenant who didn't leave – You just screwed me over. That sucks. But I didn't make them leave. Instead, I put the other tenant. I went and showed them that was – well, I didn't. My manager went and showed them the other couple vacancies we had. They liked one of the other ones better, and they went to that one. And so uh, problem solved. But uh, you know, they didn't pay a deposit, luckily. They had paid application fees. They didn't pay a deposit on the apartment itself. That would have gotten a little more legally sticky. But all they had paid was an application fee. But it is, it is a weird thing. Like, And that, here's an important, I mean, here's a lesson I learned in it. When a tenant says they're moving out, a new policy we just added into our, our policy book is we now call every single tenant the week before they're going to move out and say, hey, just confirming this is your move out time. You know, I, They called a month earlier and said they'd be out. And then we just kind of said, OK. But you know, that was a lesson learned. Hey, we're going to follow up now with somebody five days beforehand. And, yeah, you'll and live that and still learn.
0: won't guarantee that they move out. It still won't under, guarantee.
1: Nope. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. as we all know, tenants lie. <laughs> yeah, sometimes. No, no.
0: Yes, yes. <laughs> all right. Last question of the fire run. How much time should a new investor allot a month to start investing in buy and buying holds, as you've done? So, like, yeah, you know, what what type of time commitment do you think, if you're, you're working a full time job, would it take for somebody to to kind of get in there and get that first property?
3: I would say a reasonable amount of time would be twenty hours a week. So if you're working forty hours a week, you have forty hours of free time, not counting the week. And um, putting in 20 hours a week, learning your market is a reasonable amount of time that you will get a return on that time and not, you know, completely turn your life over to real estate.
1: Right All right. Cool. cool. All right. Well, let's shift gears one last time and head over to my favorite part of the show, the world famous. Famous for. All right. These are the same four questions we ask every guest every single week. And we're going to see what you got to say. Number one. Russell, what is your favorite real estate-related book? So I'm going to go a different direction here. Uh, My favorite real estate investing book is The Big
3: Short by Michael Lewis. Really? Yeah. I've not read it. Was the movie based on that? Uh, The movie was based on that. I've not seen it. And you know, it's interesting because it's about the market collapse, (laughs) which we're all afraid of happening again. But you know, I just think what happened a decade ago was so fascinating how we all got caught up in this hysteria i don't think it's something we should be afraid of but you know i think it's really interesting to learn about and to understand how housing fits into the larger economy and other financial instruments that are around i love it sounds good
0: yeah cool and i that's that's on my like queue of things i've got to see yeah um, me too that's oh, a great so. book
3: nice nice all right uh, favorite business book one up on wall street by peter lynch it's uh, an investing book you know and it's really applicable to real estate, even though it's not about real estate. Peter Lynch was a mutual fund manager in the 80s who averaged a 30% return a year, which is just amazing. And his you know, main thesis in the book is to invest in what you know. you know. I think that applies to real estate because I think the best way we can mitigate risk and the best way we can make money is by having market knowledge. So if you invest in what you know, you're really going to reduce your risk, whether it's stocks, real estate, uh, investing in businesses, whatever you want to invest in, understanding it, having that knowledge is really going to help you reduce risk and juice your returns.
1: And I I think that's an interesting point too that ties back to what you said earlier. You know, your whole story of, you know, buying these properties that might not cash flow real well, and you're going to manage yourself, and like you do things very different than I do. I mean, we do some things the same, but you're very different. But that's because you understand your way of investing. I understand my way. Josh understands his way, right? And and we're all better at what we do than we would be at each other's stuff.
3: Exactly. And I bought low low cost rentals that know low-income people rented and i did awful in them other people make great returns in them i just don't understand those people that were my tenants so i didn't know how to handle them yeah There
0: there you go there you go cool all right russell what do you what do you do for fun man what kind of hobbies you got
3: um i ride my motorcycle i like to travel a lot and since i'm a real estate agent you know really the more people i hang out with and talk to about real estate the more money i make so i go to Almost every social event any of my friends have, parties, happy hours. Um, and, you know, I tell my wife I'm working.
1: <laughs> <There you go. laughs>
3: nice. like nicely it. done.
1: I like it. All right. My last question of the day. Russell, what do you believe sets apart successful investors from those who give up, fail, or just never decide to get started?
3: I think it's an inability to properly analyze and assess risk. Investing in real estate comes with risk. But the problem is people overanalyze it and they think it's too risky for them. But what I think is more risky is not investing in real estate, not creating multiple income streams, leaving your money in the bank so inflation eats away at it. That's more risky to me than investing in real estate.
0: There you go. Cool. Before we let you go, where can people find out more about you? How do they connect and link up with you?
3: Um, my contact information is on my website, RussellBrazil.com, and I'm very active in the BiggerPockets forums. Um, reach out to me on there. I'm on there probably most every day.
1: Cool. And like we said at the beginning of the show, we do appreciate that. And uh, we hope people do jump in and and take part of it because forums are fantastic. Actually, why don't I ask that last question, Russell? You are in the forums a lot. Can you offer any advice for people listening to the show right now that have not jumped in the forums? Like, How should they get started? What should they do? What shouldn't they do? Talk about that for a second. That's great. Yeah. So in the earlier podcasts, I remember thinking, you guys
3: always said, get on the forums. And I kept thinking, oh, I don't want to get on and talk to... People over the internet. Like, that's such a waste <laughs> of time. But the interaction in the forums really does two things. The Bigger Pockets Forums is the best free real estate education anyone can get. Um, even for someone like me who, you know, is a professional, understand, you know, I just learned so much on there. And the other plus to it is, besides learning, is the networking. I've got some great friends I've made through the Bigger Pockets Forums. I've done deals with people from there. Uh, I've had clients that have come from there. Real estate's a relationship business, and it's really a way to get out there and create relationships with like-minded people. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So, I mean, if you haven't done it before, maybe just make a new member introduction. Let people know who you are, you know, where you are. Uh, other people local will will jump in and and welcome you and things like that, and and then find topics of interest and and jump in. If you have questions, ask them. Don't be afraid and answer if you know the answers to questions. I mean, we had. I looked, we had 2,440 forum posts in the last 24 hours when I looked this morning. It's insane. There's so many people who are on there who are interacting locally, connecting, finding partners, finding people. It, it, it's amazing. So, yeah, and yeah. You,
3: you can literally get an answer to your questions within minutes most of the yeah. time. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. crazy. Like, why go, why go pay some consultant three $400 an hour when I can get that information for free in a matter of minutes? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I love it. It's awesome,
0: cool. Well, thanks again, Russell. We appreciate it, and uh, good luck to you as you continue the next phase in your uh, investing, and and uh, we'll see you around.
3: Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Hey, thank, thank you. you.
1: See you around. Bye. All
0: right, guys. That was Russell Brazil here on the Bigger Pockets podcast show one ninety two. Check out the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show one ninety two. So, so Brandon.
1: Yeah, how's your forehead? How's that mark on my head? Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> Yeah, it's still there. Yeah, is it? It is. It's still there. You might have a bruise there later. Yeah, you think that's going to happen? <laughs> uh, you just got to tell everyone does, like your wife beat you the, up. Does this seven.
0: bring does this bring great joy to you? My, <laughs> my misfortune. You a,
1: ton, a ton of great joy. Yeah, I don't know. yeah, I'm sure. I've I'm not sure. sneezed and smashed my face into a microphone. That
0: uh, that was a bit embarrassing.
1: That was amazing. So I'm glad. Uh, well, I'm glad we got that recorded.
0: Yeah, I'm glad everybody on the planet yeah. is going to get to see that. That that will become a viral video. I'm also glad that we got this. You're going to do everything in your power to make that happen, by the way, which is which is awesome. I you know
1: I am, I yeah. might I'm going to put that all over. So that's great. Sorry, that's great. I was going to say I'm also uh, really glad that everybody in the world is going to show up to next week's BiggerPockets webinar, which you can get oh, to yes. by signing up at biggerpockets.com/webinar. You guys of should definitely check it out, and uh, I will be there live. Usually we do them on Wednesdays, and uh, if you can't make it live, usually you have a couple of days to watch the replay. So, again, biggerpocket.com slash webinar. And with that, we got to get out of here. All
0: right, guys, before we get out of here as Russell said the bigger pockets forums are amazing. It's a great place to go and network and connect and ask questions and have your own personal community there to guide you through anything you need to be guided through. So get in there, create a free account today at www.biggerpockets.com. Otherwise, big thanks for listening. Thanks for the support. Please spread the word about the bigger pockets podcast, about bigger pockets in general. And we will see you next time. I'm Josh Dorkin signing off.